Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Things are a spinning in the world of golf. We have COVID positive tests all over the place. We've got Bryson just throwing out more astronomical numbers than anybody ever thought possible. You got Brooks Kepka out there kind of just squashing the haters, I think, Dante, as far as uh, people dissing on Bryson, saying if you can't put in the work, then shut up. Uh, we got we got we also I mean Brooks in the same sentence we have Brooks out there supporting his brother on the uh, on the Monday qualifiers uh, how cool is that so we got we got we got all kinds of stuff to talk about this week Dante and I'm pumped to get into it the uh, the golf world is back and it is a buzz it is and first let's talk about the Brooks Kepka aspect on Bryson and his distance I loved you know, it. I absolutely loved his take. I, on I this. did. I did because Brooks basically said to everybody about Bryson and his distance because let's face it, I'll I'll admit it was a little annoying with every single golf media aspect or whatever, golf channel, you name it, PGA tour, like any type of media outlet was just all over Bryson and how far he was hitting it. But like you and I were looking at, like he really wasn't out driving even the longest of guys. But we gave him credit to the fact that he was, he put in the work and he has gained muscle mass, size to his personal body and distance to what he was from the previous year. And that's what Brooks said in. And that's what I think a lot of the problem when it comes to the distance debate is that the fact is Brooks basically showed it down. He goes, in order to get better these days, you have to put in the work. It's not like the old days to where like you can just show up, can a beer, and then head to the first tee and just, you know, you're at, show me you're the a best John Daly. Show me a John Daly on tour this year. I dare you. Because it ain't happening. It's just not no. happening. The guys are way too fit. And I'm going to tie this other post in. And, and you know, the golf industry media-wise has been just blowing this up on, on astronomical proportions. Bryson this, Bryson that, Bryson everything. And to, to a point, hell yeah, awesome. Bryson just worked his dick off while a lot of people in this world took this COVID-19 as a vacation took it as time to go off. And a lot of people in this country probably put 40 pounds on of pure fat, of pure Cheetos and Doritos. But Bryson put it on in pure muscle mass. So kudos to him. I'm not, I'm not shutting him down for what I'm about to say. But Golf.com posted this article today, and it showed Bryson carrying the ball on his Foresight Sports Machine 365 yards and says Bryson's rain numbers are absolutely insane. Awesome. You know what it was? It was probably the same post from Bryson, almost happy Gilmore in a swing and just swinging out of his shoes. You'll never see those numbers on a PGA Tour weekend. There's no chance. So it's like you just said earlier, Bryson's hitting it farther. Yes, but in statistics and in the numbers week in and week out, he's still not number one on tour. He's still not the farthest guy out there. And it's kind of like what I want to go back to, how, how Brooks said it. His quote was, you can't sit here and bitch and complain that he's hitting it too far. You've actually got to go put the work in when no one is looking, when no one's watching, and he's done that. So props to him, and he's using it to his advantage. Perfectly said. You know, Perfectly. You, you, can't, you can't sit back and say, we need to dial the ball back. We, we have too much distance. We have too much distance. 
That, no, we don't. We have guys grinding their ass off and working hard to hit it that far. Because you also Dude, got guys it, out there who just spend all day playing with their buddies that don't hit it that far that are still on tour, and they're the ones bitching and complaining that they're getting it blown by them. I ha- here's two things. One, don't knock on Cheetos and Doritos because they're delicious. I also and... ate a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos this weekend <laughs> on the beach, so I, you know, I'm calling the kettle black, but here we are. Yeah. Two, though. <laughs> two. I honestly believe the ball has been maxed out to capacity of what you can do to it. The driver head is what you can absolutely do to it. The only thing that they're changing on a ga- on irons is legit game improvement irons for the the twenty handicappers. Pros aren't playing those. Dude, I'll tell you what though. I will, I'll, I'll cut you off there for a minute because some of the new irons out there, it's ridiculous. A couple of my buddies that are even like low handicaps or close to plus handicaps. They, they're getting these new irons that are like, you know, instead of the, the MBs from Titleist, you know, your pure blades or even Mizuno yeah. with your pure blades, they're going to like, a, a, I guess, the new Titleist irons. They're like a MBCB combined. So they have a little cavity back, but they still look like a blade up top. And Mizuno's, I think, went to the JPX 90s or something like that. Some, these guys are hitting seven iron, like 200 yards. And it's not because yeah. they're they I all mean, of a sudden gained forty yards. It's because these irons are made bent strong. They're made just hot, like something in between. It's, that's a, it's, it's incredible. Some of these, some of these even player irons, not player improvement, but player irons even that's, are starting that's to get too another, long. You know what I'm saying? That's they're too an, long. That's another rabbit hole because, like, the actual like full game improvement irons. What they're doing is they're they're hollowing out the head. They're moving all the mass all the way down to the all the weight down to the bottom of the head and then they're just cranking the lofts like uh, if you go on statistics i guess you can say a a normal or old school stock seven iron is 34 degrees you're seeing irons that are hollowed out weights packed down to the bottom of the club so the ball can still get in the air and they're cranking them to like 28 degrees yeah i mean looking at to to kind of dial in five iron yeah, to dial in that exact point which you were just making, you know, um, I did a little bit of research and kind of put together this little evolution of golf lofts through the years. And basically what it's boiled down to is back in the day, seven irons used to be like 34, 35 degrees. Now your standard pitching wedge is at like 45 degrees. So it's only 10 degrees less than a seven iron now seven irons used to be way more lofted than what they are in today's and now you know in in like the, the recent kind of i guess movement of, of of strong irons longer irons as everyone wants to market that your seven irons now at about 27 degrees and your pitching wedge is about like 40 so that's that's a 10 full degree, almost 15 full degree difference at from what clubs every, used to be only like a decade ago. If you look at a player's iron, whether it's pretty much blade or mm-hmm. cavity back, you know, player's iron, not the game improvement, not the big old fat boys with the big old soles. <laughs> if you're looking at kind of like a CB or an MB aspect, they're basically bent. Like if you were to go to a store and, pull them off the rack they're basically if you go look at stock irons from back in the day 
each club currently today is about a club longer. So your seven is actually an old school six. Your old your six is an old school five. So you're about a club longer currently than today. And it I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it here. I'm even seeing almost two clubs, man. It's it's nuts. Almost. It's, it's it's like they were saying here the clubs that were made even just a generation ago for when Phil and Tiger you know got into the game like in the early 2000s like or late 90s early 2000s your your seven iron back in the day is now your nine iron nine eight seven yeah your your nine iron now was a seven iron in 2002 2003. So now these yeah. guys are bragging. They're hitting seven irons, almost 200 yards. It's like, no, you're hitting a five iron. Like you have a five iron in your hand. And then, and then Which, you wonder why these sets stop at six iron and go to the hybrids. It's because, well, the, the modern day six is a four. <laughs> modern day six iron is, is the old time four iron. So, I yep. mean, and, it's, it's nuts, dude. Dude, and, and the crazy thing is I think obviously – on the males aspect, like you and I, golf is very egotistic. So it's like, oh, you know, you have a hundred and seventy yard shot. What did you hit? Like a uh, seven iron. And like the one guy's like, what'd you hit? Oh yeah, seven iron, but he's actually holding either like a five or six iron. It's like, dude, every club is made different with different degree of loft. Just take know your yardages, know your gaps, because that's where you're gonna get better. And another big issue too with the clubs too, especially the high end uh, game improvement irons. Dude, the nine iron pitching winds are so high lofted that when you go down to like the blade wedges, you are six degrees off. If not more. From like your, yeah. if not more, from your pitching wedge to your gapper sandwich. And that's the problem. It's, it's knowing your gaps. Like, dude, and it, it, like, I'm not knocking like these manufacturers. They're finding ways and better technology to crank down lofts. So, you have a shorter club into, into I mean, and I'll be all honest with you. I don't think it's even better technology. I think it's just, we're running out of technology. Golf club manufacturers are running out of ways to find new marketing. So if, if they can bend a club down, they've always known how to bend clubs and, you know, take a, take a degree loft and, and put it down farther. But like it, it's golf club companies running out of marketing schemes. And all of a sudden they're like, well, these clubs are all of a sudden the same heads we've always had, but they're just longer. Well, how are they longer? Well, it's because instead of stamping a seven iron into a 47 degree or whatever degree they are, 30 some degree, we're stamping it into a 27 degree. So now it's like, you know, golf club manufacturers, I think will use this until something revolutionary happens because they're running out of ways to tell people we've made something that goes longer. Because they're really not making anything different. They're just making things stronger. Loss. So yeah, here you go. Check this out. So let's look at the specs here. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> okay. A, let's look at the tailor made. And because tailor made is ruthless when it comes to this. Tailor-made men's Sim Max irons, and these are like game improvement to the max, right? <laughs> Big old chunky irons, right? Let's look at this four iron here. Let's look at the club specs. Four iron, loft, 19 degrees. Length, 39.125 inches. Let's stop right there real quick. 
that four iron 19 degree, 19 degrees is usually a three hybrid yep. or an old school five wood. Or a five wood, exactly. Or a five wood. You know what I and, you know what I've seen from people that I would love to I think see come back? Ben Hogan tried it back in the day, but it wasn't as much of an issue. I would love to see irons have the actual loft stepped on it instead of they, yeah, they, in, they instead tried of that the, the number. <laughs> they tried that and I think people got so confused when it came are, are, to Are we just too dumb? Are we too dumb for <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> I think we are. Because listen. I I I love the club spec aspect of it. I love looking at you know all specs loft lie. I love learning that. I want to get into like club fitting myself and figuring out like optimizing the best type of technology, which I'll get to in a second. And I still get confused. If I were to have a club set where all the irons had the loft on it, I would be so confused on what I need to pull out as to like, oh, what's my 150 club, right? Uh, crap, what, what degree is that, you know? And it just, it just goes to show that, like, they're off-the-wrap clubs, they're extending the – because 39 inches is probably your – I mean, 39 inches to the – like, on the nose is probably your mm-hmm. stock three hybrid. This four iron is 19 degrees at 39.125 inches. So 0.125 inches is longer than 39 inches. They're extending the length and they're jacking up the loss because, and they're messing with the club to where they can put all the weight to the bottom so you can still get the ball in the air and saying that you're hitting these clubs 15 to 20 yards longer. I love well, it, man. It, 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 it's, the, it's funny because – in the same in the same conversation that we're having the dial this back dial that back distance is a problem all the manufacturers are trying to do is make distance further 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 so it, it's fun to see i mean where we started this entire conversation and i love where it went down but it, it's the fact of you know the golf old heads are bitching and complaining about Bryson hitting it too far and the guys that are actually putting in the work the Rory's, the Brooks's, the DJ's, the Bubba's realize, well, listen, like I worked my ass off to get to here. If you want to hit it as far as I do work your ass off too. Don't complain about technology. Don't complain about the ball, work your ass off, put on muscle, figure out a swing. I mean, there's some guys out there. Rory's five, nine. He's not six something, 295 pounds. Like, Rory's found a way at five nine in his frame to hit the ball long. Why I mean, can't everyone else do it? It's because they don't want to put the work in. Look at our last guest, A Phil, A Phil, Alex Phillips, a woman in the scene, five six, dri- five, five six, six driving it two hundred and eighty five <laughs> yards and and more. I mean, she she hit a ball with roll three hundred and seventy seven yards. Like she's in the she's in the gym working her ass off developing the muscles needed to generate more speed and power for a swing so where do you want to get more distance get your ass in the gym and get I'd yourself to a yoga studio and figure out speed figure out your actual one figure out your fundamentals for your club two get your ass in the gym start squatting and start and hitting the yoga uh, studio and start being flexible one That's thing what, i you love want to get longer that's where you need to get one thing i love to see on the comment section when we posted our uh our little uh you know teaser 
podcast uh, snip from the uh, from the show on our Instagram was was uh, our buddy Trent out of uh, California. He was the yep, first to comment. He he commented quickly. He goes, "Alex is so awesome. What a wonderful individual." But I tell you one thing, I don't like about her when she outdrives me constantly. Yep. So it, I mean. Trent's a good dude. He's in the Navy. He's fit. He's constantly working out. And for him to say she outdrove him, she's got the long ball. And at 5'6", that's freaking impressive. So if there's a will, there's a way to hit the ball long. And uh, I'm just sick of everybody saying we need to dial it back. You no, know, you don't need to dial it back. Guys are hitting it long. And this, and this drives me into our next conversation point. It was something I saw out of Jordan Spieth, who, real quick, has, you know, I don't want to jinx him, but – has maybe found it again this year. I think he likes the no fans, man. I think he really likes the no fans because Jordan Spieth has found a way to uh, to get up in there in the in the top of the leaderboard these last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, golf is a big uh, mental game. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking for one as myself because I'm going through it, but not on the pro aspect side of it. But, yeah, I mean – Listen, as a viewer, as a fan, it's awesome to be able to go see. If you haven't gone to a PGA Tour event, I highly recommend it when we can go to one because it's nothing like any other sporting event. So, for example, you go to a basketball event or you go to a football event. Everybody goes to an arena. Everybody goes to a stadium. You all sit in a seat. You all sit. The, you see the same exact game. Don't you can sit in the nosebleeds, and then I don't know. I could be sitting floors, uh, you know, courtside or yeah, yeah. or middle. Like we're seeing the same exact game. You go to a professional golf event. You your viewing experience will be something completely different than what I see. I it's, can go. It's the to, best. It's the. I I cannot emphasize this enough. The fact of. The people sitting behind the green on 18 when, when someone is hitting a shot to possibly win the tournament and the person standing beside the guy who's hitting the shot have two different stories to tell because the guy up sitting up beside the green can say, oh, my God, he was so far away, even though maybe he was only like 150, 175 yards away, right? And he stuck yeah. it to like 10 feet. Now – it was obviously 10 feet because the guy was right up on the green. He saw it. Now the guy that's standing or girl that's standing beside, you know, the guy hitting the shot is probably like, well, he was only 150 yards away. Cause they actually know how far it is away, but he's going to, the guy that's standing beside him is probably going to say, yeah, man, so-and-so hit it to two feet because from 150 yards away, it looks so much closer than when you walk up to the green. So, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's the kind of dichotomy that like you're, you're, you're spot on is, Every viewpoint on a PGA Tour event is so different, and that's the beauty I've, of it. I've been to two events, right, and they were all they were both FedEx uh, playoff events. One was up in uh, Edison, New Jersey. I'm trying to think, it was a few years ago. Anyway, uh, the course we went to, my dad and I walked in there, and they, I guess, the way it walked you through, we came down on the ninth hole and we saw players coming up. So we it was like, let's walk down some more try and get more into the course and see what's available. Well, we roll up, turns out it was hole two. The tee box was wide open, not a single, I mean, barely anybody was standing there. And we walked up and we're right along the ropes. Turns out 
that rope was so tight to the tee box that I could probably reach my hand over and touch a player. That's how close we are. So we looked at each other and said, yo, let's just chill at this spot real quick. So we watched pretty much from that point on until the last, like the leading group tee off through there and then went home. And we saw all these players come through and just tee off on, to, uh, on the second hole. And it was neat to see and trying to figure out how like they're playing this hole and this and that. I don't have to go in down to that. Next place I go to, I go to the, uh, when it was at Aronimic, um, BMW. I've been uh, there. Two years ago, right? Yep. A uh, couple of buddies of mine, I told them about it. I was like, yo, you need to go to a PJ Tour event because it's like really cool to see. So we all go, we all drive in together, whatnot. So this year, that year, we decided to do it a little bit different. We decided to follow. We we did it as if we followed a few players, and then we just kind of bounced from a couple holes. And of course, Tiger was playing, so we had to go find Tiger. So we did that fiasco because you have to basically go <laughs> two holes ahead, watch people come through until he starts rolling through, because you just see the wave of people just coming through. But that's the coolest – I mean, on a viewer standpoint, going back to what we were just talking about, that's the coolest part aspect of it. To me, as if I was a playing professional, as if Jordan Spieth, having no fans would probably just reduce the anxiety so much because I don't have to worry about guys chirping at me. I don't have to hear any type of – you know, people if they had a few too many cocktails to where they're – I was just going to say that something. every every event I've been to, which I'm going to get into that real quick because I think your recount of it was so cool too, was every every hole I felt like some like you were just holding your breath, hoping that some asshole that hasn't had 37 beers that day was going to say something in somebody's backswing. You know, it just yep. it's it's the unfortunate truth of the PGA Tour. They're a full service event. They do food. They do cocktails. They do drinks. They do it all, and they do it well. Usually, every event I've ever been to, PGA Tour affiliated, has been very well run. But it comes with those kind of like you know detriments on the backside. Um, now, where I have been, and I've kind of experienced a couple things in which I think are really cool dichotomies. I've been to the PGA Championship at Baltusrol which was in uh, New Jersey. I was there with a couple buddies on the Marywood golf team on a Sunday when Jason Day made Eagle to tie it up before J- Jimmy Walker made, uh, made birdie on the last hole to win it. But um, being there in a major championship, and I was on the side of things where Jason Day hit that, e- that Eagle shot or the shot before he made the Eagle putt, and, and the green went wild. But Austin, my buddy's dad, was down in the fairway, right? And he goes, oh, it, it, it just, it looked like he hold it. He looked like he hold it. Like it had to be close. And we were like, we were standing up in the green and we were like, that was like 20 feet. Like it wasn't even that close. Like, cause he hit it dead over the pin, but it went long, you know? And like everybody back in the fairway thought he freaking jarred it, you know? Like they thought it was in the hole. So it was one of those things where it was, it was cool to see that dichotomy. And then I've also been to a PJ championship in New York at Bethpage where I went in a practice round. So it was, you know, it, it went from the high intensity of Baltusrol on a Sunday, at, you know, evening almost. And, and then all of a sudden you're in a practice round Wednesday. Not too many guys are there because it was cold. It was windy. It was rainy. And, uh, and I'll never forget it. Like you just said, where you were on, uh, where you were on like this tee box and, you know, you're real uptight close to it. Uh, my, my parents and I went and we were on 17 
kind of the hill between 17 green and 18 T box at Beth page. If anyone's been there, there's this big hill behind 17, which is a part of three that walks up to this T box that when you're standing on, you, it looks like you're in jail already going down 18 at Beth page. It is so tight. It is ridiculous. But walking up between the two holes, nobody was standing there because it's kind of just a weird hill. It's really inclined. It's not a comfortable place to stand, I would say. But my dad and I found that nobody was there, and every pro wanted to go hit that tee shot on 18 because it was the day before the event. So, like, they just wanted a good thought process in their head, even though it was kind of really crappy weather. So Jim Furyk walked by, Phil Mickelson walked by, Bryson DeChambeau walked by. And the time Bryson walked by, Bryson was kind of waiting for the tee box. There was two groups ahead of him that he was kind of waiting on. So he started mucking it up with just a couple of people that were standing there. And there was only maybe three or four people standing there. And my dad and I were, you know, two of those people. So Bryson stand by and said, Hey, you know, you guys want us to sign anything. Bryson stood there for like 35 minutes, signed a ball, signed a hat, signed like a mug. My dad had just like, he signed everything. Bryson was there. Bryson was so cool. He literally, I think would have signed like my shoes if I asked him to, like, it was just, he was a man of the people that day and it was really cool. So it was, it was fun to see that side of it too. And I honestly think I would much rather go back to a practice round vibe than I would a Sunday major championship vibe because as you mentioned in the, like the kind of tiger atmosphere, you have to almost be two holes ahead and wait and see no action for like a half an hour, 45 minutes to see all the action for like 10 minutes. And in a practice round vibe, you can follow these guys around pretty much like on their tail and watch them hit like 30, 40 shots around the greens. I'll never forget. We were watching Francesco Molinari. He hit like 30 shots out of this bunker because he just couldn't figure it out. And it was cool to hear him go back and forth with his caddy on how he was going to hit the shot and why he was trying to hit it over to the left. And then he tried to the right and why he was doing both. So like, if you, the, if you go to both, it's just interesting to see those, those thought processes behind how these guys are going to attack these major championship courses. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I would probably choose to practice round two because then you can get that kind of relaxed vibe. Like you were saying, but yeah, if you're coming down the stretch, I mean, these guys, Granted, they make millions of dollars. Some of them are the lower end pros are still grinding out there to make a decent living. Mm -hmm. So these guys are out there trying to put food on the table and trying to support their families. So yeah, they're out there focused and they have a job to do. Like that's yep. their job. Well, so, and, and it's, it's just crazy. Cause like the reason we got into this whole golf course setup, golf course experience was because of Jordan Spieth's comment, which we were originally going to talk about was, he made the comment, one thing I'd really like to see with golf courses is the rough grown up. Distance is a massive, massive advantage right now, but when the rough is down at a lot of these golf courses, it gets exploited, which, which we've talked about on this podcast millions of times, I think, by this point. Grow the rough up, and you stop having this distance debate. I mean, I think if you grow the rough up, you soften the fairways just a wee bit. I mean, not even a little bit. Soften the hell out of those things because you guys are playing on concrete. And if and if you speed up the greens a little bit, you're going to see guys play a lot more conservatively rather than, oh, if I can play a course that's pretty open and just bomb a driver 285 to 300 yards carry and just let that crap roll 
out to 60, 70 yards. And then I have a wedge into the green to where then the greens are soft. I'm just going to, the ball is just going to stop and then I can just flag hunt all day and then have tap in birdies. Yeah. You're going to see 20, 25 <laughs> under uh, rounds yeah. throughout four days. I, I, I just don't understand. Grow the rough out. Just, just like a hair, like make it a little bit thicker. Make guys tighten the fairways a little bit, make them softer, make it to where guys actually need to place the shot. I mean, yeah, the game's changing to almost like a bomb and gouge kind of thing, yep. but there's ways around it to where you don't have to add additional tee boxes or length to the course to where you actually have to challenge. There's the the problem is is you have guys out there, the olds, the the traditionalists saying that you know you're taking away from the architecture of the course. The course isn't meant to be played like this way. These guys are overpowering the golf course. All right, well. Okay, yeah, maybe they are, but times are changing, so let's find a different way to figure it out to where we can keep the traditional aspect of the golf course without having to alter much. I think the, I, I best, just, the best conversation is to – you're seeing a lot of courses these days with, with much kind of pushback, uh, taking a ton of trees out. You know, courses all across the country are taking trees out in lieu of some high rough, some fescue. Um, and it's just for, it's for maintenance is basically what it boils down to as budgets decrease. Trees are a lot of maintenance and people don't realize that. And, and when superintendents start taking out these trees and replacing it with fescue, it's not making the course easier. If they grow in the fescue in the right places and make this rough, like, as you just mentioned, tighter, a little tighter, especially for these professionally played courses, you can make a very challenging, if not more challenging course than if there were trees on the course. And, and there's a lot of courses that don't grow that rough so tight, so thick because members pay to have an enjoyable experience. So there's very few courses across the country and it's probably just the courses that make the PGA, you know, schedule that have the ability to grow that in tight and grow that in thick for these events and that's really probably the one time a year that they're going to do it. But if you're going to do it one time a year, make it for these pros who are constantly having this distance debate. You know, I think if there's one time to do it, it's this freaking time. Sometimes I don't even think it's the pros having a distance debate. I think it's the <laughs> analysts having the distance debate. They're the one complaining. Like, I honestly think half these people, these analysts are complaining about the distance because they don't hit it as near as far as these pros. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now who it is and why it is. It's the David Duvall's. It's the Nick Faldo's. It's the Johnny Miller's who never saw a ball travel this far in their life. And, yes, I'm going to even throw it out there, Jack Nicholas's, because he's consistently on the other side of draw the ball back, draw the club back. We need this. We need that. It's the guys that have never seen a ball go this far in their lives, and they're sick of seeing the ball go this far. That's all it is. But the funny, that's all. The it funny is. thing is, the funny thing is, Nicholas was the him and Palmer were the longest of their field, so they were technically the Brooks, the DJ, the Bubba's, the Brysons of the world in their time. And technology's moving. I mean, you're finding ways to get on track, man. The, the these these track mans, these foresights, these these radars, these distance measuring device are taking 
these extreme pictures of the ball and they're analyzing all this type of data to mm-hmm. where, all right, the shaft is not is producing too much spin. Let's take it out. Let's put something different out. These companies are finding different multi-materials to figure out ways to optimize your swing with the equipment that's in your hand. Back in the day, you just slapped the steel shaft in there. God knows what it was and just, and went. So yeah, like these, Nicholas, yo, you play with like probably a whippy shaft back in the day and probably produced a lot of spin, but you altered your swing to control it. Like it's a different game. Now you're, you're piecing two different components together to eliminate that. And you're just swinging your swing. You were still the longest in your day. Yeah. You you would probably be incredible. If you took, if you took Nicholas and his prime and put him in today's equipment and today's ball, he would probably, and I think they did studies. He would be the longest. I mean, you just look at the way he swings. Look at the way he swings. He mashed the ball. If he did that in today's, with like you said, today's equipment, today's technology, today's track man. So he swung the way he swung, but could dial in his shafts, could dial in the adjustable heads. There's no doubt Jack Nicholas would still be one of the longest players out there. That's not up for question. So it's, it's, it's funny to see the, the kind of old analysts look back and have this 2020 vision you know, have the, uh, have the foresight to say, oh, well, that's not the way it was back in my day. It's like, of course it's not. It's a different game today. Everyone agrees to that and admits that. But it's just like the basketball debate with Jordan and LeBron. It's the, it's the baseball uh. debate. It's the baseball <laughs> debate with some of the greats. It's like, let the game be present. Let the game Listen, live in today's I, day and age and let it thrive uh, with today's technology. Is basically I, what it I, hate, I hate when people try and compare – goats of two different generations you have stop just stop like literally stop it i know it's fun to try and debate who's better you can't it's two different games it will it will always be two different games and even in the future it'll be different games like you go to the mj and lebron uh debate lebron's the greatest of this current generation mj was great in the previous generation of the 90s basketball era 2000 basketball era and on LeBron two different games completely two different styles of basketball just stop I'm not even getting into it if you want to reach out to me and argue with me right have at it I'll give you the same answer I'm done with that this is a this is a golf podcast we're done with basketball but I'm just telling you it's two different eras two different two different games end of story yeah I totally agree and I would love to see um I would love to see more, I think, support from the, the older, the past generation. Um, just support the new game. It's a new game. Everyone admits that Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and even Johnny Miller were greats when they were in their prime. No one's, no one's discrediting them from that. So, you know, I think we need to acknowledge their greatness and we need to acknowledge the new greatness. You know, I think I both mean, can be had in the same conversation <laughs> and say you were great. And this is great. You know, all you things wanna, are great. <laughs> if you want to acknowledge the greats of like the Nicholas and the Faldos and the Palmers and all of them back then, these guys were hitting steel shafted clubs with club head sizes the size of a small T, like a what would be considered a little T in our our era. I'm still I'm fascinated by when I when I find a uh, 
when I find a, an old club in a, in a Goodwill or a, you know, whatever it is, where I find the old Akushnets or the old Wilsons of the day with the wood heads and steel shafts, how small these thinking, freaking things are. The head's smaller almost than the ball. It's incredible. I mean, you're hitting, like, again, club heads. Club heads and uh, lofts were, <laughs> compared to back then, to today's clubs, today's clubs are almost a club, club and a half stronger, yep. right? So you're telling me that, like, the Nicholas era, these guys were hitting drivers that are, if not, they were probably smaller, if not the same size as the three woods that we hit today. So, again, clubs are a club, club and a half longer today than they were back then. And these guys were able to poke it out there, 270, 280. That's still a good distance. And they were playing on probably 65 to 6,700 yards back then. So, dude, I'm not knocking on their distance. It's just accept the reality that the game is completely different these days and let's find a way to accommodate the courses to where we can challenge these guys and not have them go 22 under. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, I I think at the end of the day, uh, before we move on, at the end of the day, these guys are sick and tired of seeing scoring records being broken because of quote-unquote distance and if these guys were producing numbers on the 8 9 10 unders instead of the 20 21 22 unders i don't think this is a debate anymore i think i think just challenging the courses a little bit more making it maybe a little less viewership non-friendly you know i think the the golf media side of things has made viewership so much on swing speeds swing distance ball distance you know, they've built such a kind of following around how far people are hitting it with the track man, the tracer and everything that it, it, it might take away a little bit from these guys hitting it so far if the numbers aren't there to wow people. But if you make the fairway softer, if you make the greens a little faster, maybe a little firmer, I don't know, make the rough thicker, obviously, like Jordan Spieth said, I think it becomes more challenging. I think it becomes more of a more of a true test uh, when you when you're you know guys can't spray it all over the place and, and can actually you know if they miss a drive are actually punished for it. So it'll be interesting to see if you know if the pros start speaking up like Spieth is talking about and they uh, they actually start seeing some movement maybe from the PGA Tour. But I don't think they will. I think the PGA Tour is too uh, consumer centric on the model that they already have built, and I think they're going to keep rolling with what they've got. Yeah, so I agree. Guys, I'm going to take a second to let you guys know of some awesome things coming through the pipeline. If you guys want to check out www.enjoythewalkpod.com, you can check out our latest merch. Summer is coming. July 4th is around the corner. We have our United We Walk line just released last week, so you guys can check that out. There's some USA-themed hats, some T-shirts, and some short sleeve shirts as well as some mugs on there, guys. Go check it out. I hope you guys can rock some Enjoy the Walk merch as you're celebrating the 4th of July this year. And uh, some awesome things coming down the line, too, with Squares Golf. So be on the lookout for that. We have some coupon codes, some Enjoy the Walk coupon codes coming out for you guys, hopefully here soon. That'll be uh, specifically for us to you, for Squares Golf Shoes. We know how much we love them. We've talked about them time and time again. Dante, you've got a pair. I've got two pair now. Um, the the Squares golf shoes are, I think, cemented in our uh, in our 
repertoire for, for footwear on the course. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, again, I'll preach it again. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for performance, and if you're one who has issues of stability, if you want to make sure you're stable, stability is probably the biggest word I would say out of these shoes. Couldn't Squares agree more. Is the way to go. Yeah, I think um, I think we talked about too real quick. We've just we've talked about how maybe there's I think a half inch more maybe taller than than it's most half. shoes. It's a half inch. Yeah, and yeah. and I think w- once you get used to it, if you go hit a good range ball session before you go out and play, you get real acquainted to it real quick. But I feel like it almost helps helps me putt a little better too when I'm standing a little taller. But uh, yeah, guys, Squares Golf has has always been. Uh, I think since we kind of crossed paths, been so great to us, and we're happy to pass that on to you guys and get this coupon code out there. So coupon code Enjoy the Walk will get you ten percent off, and uh, hope you guys can use that and and make the most of that. Uh, Nick Faldo has recently sponsored Squares Golf and been a huge advocate for them. So hope you guys can check them out. Go to squaresgolf.com and uh, order your shoes today. So, Dante, we've got some uh, interesting things to talk about in the realm of COVID and the PGA Tour. Uh, COVID has recently kind of, I don't, I don't know if you would say rocked the PGA Tour with the news, but uh, you're seeing not players, well, maybe, okay, a player, Nick Watney, posted positive for COVID-19 and then withdrew. Um, but now you're seeing caddies start to test positive. Uh, and then it's kind of affecting the caddies players as well. Uh, Brooks Kepka's caddy tested positive for COVID-19. Very promptly after, Brooks Kepka withdrew. Graham McDowell's caddy posted positive. Graham McDowell withdrew. Um, and then even Cameron Champ posted positive and then quickly withdrew. All asymptomatic, no actually showing symptoms. These guys were healthy. These guys were kind of having, you know, just a normal time with their lives and just posted positive. Um, Now, I know the incubation period, 14 days, whatever, you know, you guys got to be more cautious than not. Um, But do do you think it's almost maybe too much to see these guys, the players themselves, withdraw after their caddies? posting positive, like even though themselves haven't posted positive yet? Uh, It's a sticky situation because me personally, it's like, oh my God, like enough with it. (laughs) But at the same time, you want to take your precautionary actions because you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the others, right? Mm -hmm. You're thinking about those around you. You're thinking because everybody says, and, you know, these health officials are trying to say that it really affects those with immune deficiencies and it affects those of the elderly. So you want to protect those. I mean, that's basically our parents, right? They're, they're of the, you know, I guess you can say the elderly age, right? So you want to, you want to make sure that you're not doing anything to jeopardize their life. Um, in hand, so I, I uh-huh. get what they're trying to do. But at the same time, <clears throat> it's so sticky because it's like, what if you get one news article that says, oh, yeah, if you're asymptomatic, you're fine. Like, it's very rare. You don't for spread you. it. Right, right. You don't spread it. And then two days later, they, they'll come out with an article saying, 
Well, we really don't know what's going on. Well, and I think here's the toughest part for the players. Justin Thomas commented on this uh, yesterday. Justin Thomas said, you know, it's great that we're in our bubble, I guess you could say, as far as PGA Tour players are concerned. Uh, But when when they were down in Hilton Head, he said, you know, all of the – immediate staff of the PJ tour when we're inside the ropes it was not an issue everyone was following protocol everyone was distancing the you know we us players weren't wearing the mask but everyone we encountered was wearing masks but Hilton Head as a town wasn't really following protocol that the PGA tour was abiding to and you can't ask them to Hilton Head you know South Carolina was not um, imposing masks in their local communities in their local towns uh, their businesses were open. People, you know, for a, I think as a long while have not been wearing masks. So um, it, that's where that's where I think the muddiness of this kind of all is involved. Is yes, the PGA Tour can kind of maybe hold their bottle, hold their bubble as as a unit. But as soon as you step out of outside of that controlled PGA Tour bubble, these guys are playing in the likes of Florida. You know. South Carolina, North Carolina, where North Carolina isn't even, you know, instituting masks until next week. They haven't yet until next week. So like, it's just, that's where I think the weirdness of all of this is, is they're traveling from state to state. And that's kind of where the the bylaws are being instituted is one state has it, one state doesn't, what do we, you know, how do you, how do you control that? I think the PGA tour is at, at such a, I, I think loss for control because it's just impossible to control the outside factors of everywhere they're traveling. And, and I feel bad for him because at the end of the day, you can only control so much. And Jay Monahan, he even said, you know, it's impossible to eliminate all risk, but we need to use those kind of developments that we're starting to understand better to control our own bubble. And at the end of the day, I think that's all they can control is once the PGA tour pros and all everyone involved step on their property, control it. And if it happens outside of that, then SOL, I mean, are they shit out of luck at that point? Like, I mean, it it sucks, but is that the end all be all? They're shit out of luck. I mean, I agree. You got to do what's best for kind of like you, you, I mean, think about it. You're going to take the precautionary actions for yourself and then I, on the other hand, can do – I can completely ignore it. You can't basically force me or control me to do whatever I want to please. Like, I have the right to do what I want to do, right? So you can say, you know, I'm freaked out about this thing. I'm going to do everything necessary. I'm going to wear my mask as much as I possibly can. I'm going to hand sanitize everything. I'm going to sanitize everything that I do, you know. Or maybe I'm just going to stay inside for a while and just kind of, like, not go outside. But then you got me who's just like going out willy nilly, just doing whatever the hell I want to do. And that's the problem. Like you said, like the PGA tour is doing what they possibly is, but they can't control the outside of what they're doing. Well, and here's the thing I'm curious about as well. And maybe players are just taking precautions on their own measure and it wasn't forced by the PGA tour, but something in me kind of says that, that the, when the caddies tested positive, the players were maybe influenced by the PGA tour saying, Hey, probably in a precautionary measure that you shouldn't play this week because of your caddy. And, and I think that's wrong. I I think if a player still tests negative, you know, in the, in the prior to their practice rounds, everyone has kind of seen the, the videos go around Ian Poulter 
posted his, you know, COVID test and uh, Patrick Reed's caddy Kessler crane was posting his test. So these guys week to week at every venue are getting tested before they enter the ropes, you know, before they get inside this little PGA tour bubble. And I think honestly, even though their caddies are testing positive and, and maybe it's a logistics thing, maybe they just, they don't want to play if they're not with their guy. And I get that too. You know, if, if their guy's not going to be with them, they don't want to play, but if their caddy tests positive, but they test negative, I think they should still be able to play. And like I said, maybe it's just a personal thing, but I mean, if, if GMAC needs a caddy next week, all I'm saying is I'm negative. I can caddy. Yeah. I mean, it can be, it can be superstitious too. I mean, a hundred percent. It's also crazy too, because here, here's another kind of COVID aspect. A friend of mine, right took his stepkids to go get their haircuts, right? Because finally it kind of it opened up in New Jersey. So the three of them go in. This is where it's kind of ass backwards. The three of them go in. They decide to go who's first. Now, New Jersey's also taking temperatures of uh, potential clients. And if they have a, a high temperature, a.k.a. like fever-esque temperature or whatever, yeah, if it's not in leave. the borderline, you got to leave. Yeah. leave, right? So three of them go in, they figure out who's going first. So one of the kids decides to go first, right? Kid goes up, gets his temperature taken. He's out of the range of what they can accept. Sorry, we can't, you, we can't accept your haircuts. So he's like, okay. So let me ask you this. If I decided to go first and I did not have a temperature, we would have been okay. Makes no sense. Was, and the answer was yes. Yeah. The answer was yes, they would have been okay. I, I agree. So, it, it's, it's tough, man. I get it. I, I so get it. This is, a, this is a problem that has messed with all, uh, close to over, actually now over 100,000 people's lives. I get it. It is it is rocked to this country. It's rocked the world. This is not this is not something we can mess with. But the protocol seems flawed. Is I think what we're saying. The protocol seems chintzy. Is that the word? Like you know when you get something flimsy from a store and it's not like the brand name, but you get something knockoff and and you yeah, call it not. chintzy. You know, the protocol seems like we're using the knockoff protocol right now. It doesn't seem like we're using right. the, nam, the name brand protocol because all it's I, so flawed. All I can say with this whole COVID aspect, uh, with testing, with protocols, with it just seems so, like you said, cheesy or clincy or whatever the hell you just said. Yeah, yeah, chintzy. Yeah. Chintzy. <laughs> <laughs> to where. They say you can't do one thing, but you can do two other things that revert back to that one thing they told you you can't do. I don't, I don't want to call anybody wrong in this scenario, but I just think like you might have wanted to spend maybe five more minutes on just thinking it all through is all I have to say. Um, and, and, and I mean, you know, I think the one good thing that did come out of all this COVID stuff, because there was going to be no fans, was the decision to postpone the Ryder Cup. Because I think yes. if, a Ryder, if a Ryder Cup has no fans, it's not a Ryder Cup. No. If you, whole, don't have the, the if you don't have the 
Ole, 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 ole. And uh, I believe, I believe that. I believe yeah. that we will win. I believe, yeah, it ain't a Ryder Cup. Don't, no. don't, don't it, have a Ryder it, Cup if you have no fans. It, it's Simpson. Listen, you, you don't want to see no, no fans, and you have Patrick Reed training a putt and giving the sh sign, and then you have, and then you have uh, Ian Poulter doing his fist pumps or whatever the hell he does for training no, a putt. No, it's chest bumps, dude. Ian Poulter is all right. about the chest yeah, bumps. The chest bumps, right? That's just gonna look corny as hell because they mainly do it. For the fans, it gets riled up. It brings, honestly, to me, it actually brings a, a community together. Now, um, when we even when though we you're from about, separate, even though from your some, you know, you got Europe 100%. and you got United States, it brings a golf community. It's like we're better than you, and it's all in good fun. Everyone knows know? they're there for the Ryder Cup, and that's why it brings it all together. If there's if there's one thing I, I think we can all agree on, and I think you said it perfectly earlier, when there's no fans, the players don't even get into it. And every player that's ever played on a Ryder Cup acknowledges the fact that the fans are 90% of why it's so special. And especially in the last couple of years, when it was in Paris, they had, they had the stadium seats so packed around it. There were 30,000 people around the first tee alone. Imagine hitting one shot in front of 30,000 people. It's yeah, incredible. That, it's incredible. It's an experience unlike any other. That stand on that tee box was insane. I hope Whistling Straits, now that they have another year to figure it out, can do something even more special because that course – is a test unlike any other, and I'm excited to see how they handle the fan situation. I hope in another year, whenever they you know, bring it back in 2021, that we're over all of the social distancing, that we're over all of the you know, kind of precautions that we're in right now, and we can pack people in there. That's what a Ryder Cup's for. It's about packing fans into a golf course and getting as loud as humanly possible. Yeah, that's definitely not going well with today's uh time that's not <laughs> pack, a good conversation pack, to have right now <laughs> let's pack people into so i am, into I am we were talking about protocol we were talking about stuff like that i'm happy to see that the actual decision was made to postpone it because it's not a Ryder cup without the fans um i tell you who did have fans on monday though chase kepka Chase Kepka had a little uh, extra fanhood out in his Monday qualifier for the Travelers. Brooks Kepka showed up, showed showed some brotherly love. That was pretty cool to see. You don't see many, you don't see many uh, PGA Tour pros showing up for Monday qualifying that are in the top ten in the world. Yeah, hypothetical. If you're sitting out there and you're going, you're trying to grind it out, make it on tour, and you're trying to Monday qualify, and then your brother shows up who's top ten in the world on the PGA Tour, are you? Do you get nervous as hell when he shows up? I mean, so here's, what, here's get, what I want to know. Do you get like, uh, do you get like, yeah, I'm going to show you what's up. I think in the brotherly competition, you say, hey, dude, I'm going to show you how good I can play because this is what's coming for you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Watch out, little bro or big bro. I guess he's big bro, big. isn't he? Chase is younger. So Brooks I, would be big yeah. bro. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, watch out, big bro. I'm coming for you. Watch me Monday qualify. Beware, buddy. Yeah. Beware. And, and I mean, Especially, shout out to Chase. He, he played well. He shot five under, got in a playoff, and, and made it for the five for two playoff. So, 
Chase Kepka's going to have a little something to show for Brooksy this week. Well, he pulled out. Oh, he shit. pulled out of the tournament yeah, as well. Hold up. How do you yeah. show up to Monday <laughs> qualifying and then pull out the next day? I mean, I get his reasoning. Uh, he's just trying to be precautionary again. <sighs> now I'm mad. Yeah, that's, now I'm mad. I just sucks. put two and two together as you said that, and now I'm mad. That's unfortunate. Whoops. So, uh, is a low-key underdog for this week putting all your money on Chase Kepka? Well, why would I put money on Chase Kepka? Because he's going to show his little brother what's up or his big brother what's up. He's not playing. No, Chase Kepka is. Brooke isn't. No, they're both not Are playing. Are they both not playing? Yes. No. <laughs> They both pulled out of the tournament. I don't think they did. I gotta, we got to check our sources. But uh, that's disheartening. The, kid, the little bro qualifies for one PGA Tour event, and all of a sudden he's got to pull out because of freaking COVID. I'm done with 2020. Dude, 2020 can kick rocks. Pound sand, as Dante once told me. That's what that's yep. what 2020 can do. Dude, but I tell you, I, I tell I you what 2020 still got holding out for it. The Barstool Classic. Yes, sir. We got that coming up we July gotta, 20th, man. I'm pretty pumped for that. Just about a about a month. month yeah, away. a little less than a month now, man. Up at Atlantic City Country Club. Uh, we we've said this before. This was way pre-COVID, though. Um, and actually, to our benefit. We got an email from Barstool last week or the week before that actually encouraged walking during all qualifiers, which was music to our ears. It, yes, the, the best music to our ears. So uh, we'll put this out there again for anybody who's maybe listening and wants to caddy. Uh, we are going to look for two caddies during the event. And uh, like I said, July 20th up at Atlantic City Country Club, uh, we would be more than happy to uh, I think whether whether Dante makes it back in time from Glenmara and we can stay overnight <laughs> Sunday night, or or if Dante two times us and I got to stay somewhere else, uh, two caddies are more than welcome to stay with us Sunday night and travel to Atlantic City Country Club on Monday morning. But uh, would love to have two caddies out there, especially listeners, to help us get through. And if you guys caddy for us in Atlantic City and we make it, you guys can caddy for us down at Pinehurst too. Yes, sir. So, dude, I have again. I always said before, I have some grinding. I have some grind rounds coming up. I got I'm, the Barstool so Classic. I I'm, got the. I'm looking at my calendar here, right? You have the Barstool Classic, and then the Glenmara. Uh, the Glenmara was a member guest. So yeah, so that uh, weekend, so that Friday, Saturday, Sunday is yeah. the Glenmara member guest, and then that Monday is the Barstool Classic. <laughs> And then this uh, this Saturday Sunday is my courses club championship. And yeah. sometime in between there, you got to get your practice round out of Atlantic City. But I also have the Ocean City member guest. I have my home clubs match play tournament, which is condensed. We used to have three weeks to get matches in because it was all summer long. Now we have one <laughs> week, so each match is like you got to slam it into one week. And, of course, no one's freaking, you know, schedules match out to get a freaking match once a week. So, I got, like, probably two matches coming up in the next week for match play. 
which is fun. And then I have the Ocean City member guests, and then I got the Barstool. So that's, that's our schedule for July. We are packed for July. I will say that much. Yeah, a lot of uh, some mental grinds coming down the stretch for golf. Well, I mean, I'm it's excited. good preparation. I'm excited for it. I'll be honest with you. I'm excited for it. It's a lot of golf. Yeah, it's it, a lot of walking. It's, it's a, lot, a lot of golf. It's a lot of walking. It's a lot of golf. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of good practice, especially on the mental side of things for the Barso Classic. And then speaking of mental side, just finished up Colby's class last oh, baby. night. Oh, baby. How that so, treats you. Are, you. are you ready to mentally be a beast out there on the course from Colby Wallace? He has put – he did say this, and this is probably one of the best things. He goes, out of the five weeks that we had the class, he mm-hmm. goes, going back from week one, listening – because a lot of the players he did this class were in, this, in the 70s, 80s range of scoring, right? So I would say you're scratch to six handicap golfer. Yep. And a lot of us all had the same – issues and Dude, he which said is bonkers if you think about it's it like, cra- how crazy it, is that it's crazy and he said colby said from week one you guys always said i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this by week five you guys said i did this last week and it worked <laughs> i did this i had this round i decided to take this mental strategy and it worked. And he goes, just that five week period just shows how much we've improved mentally. And if we just continue that and practice what he preached, it can go a long way because obviously as golfers, we can somehow move it around and we know we can score. Mm-hmm. Now it comes to the side of we need to kick out what's going on between our between our ears so we can be able to now all right so you're shooting 77 to 82 on a regular basis but you want to get down to shooting 72 to 77 on a regular basis yep and 90 percent of the time it's between your ears so i'm interested to see what happens on the road obviously i have a lot of work to do (laughs) still um, it's tough. The mental game of golf is tough because you're out there for four or five hours and in order to stay mentally tough is tough. So, I mean, there's a lot of, th- a lot of books to read. There's a lot of headspace practice routines it, you name it. It's, it's just a work in progress and it always is. And that's what's I tell the great you, thing about golf. a little thing that I always do. Um, and, and this is tournament golf. When I have a caddy, this is, you know, scramble golf when I have some people to talk to. What I always do, and I feel like this is just the easiest way to do it, is to, when you're not on top of a golf shot, to just completely forget you're playing golf or try to at least, you know what I'm saying? In between the shots, just forget you're playing golf and and have a conversation with whoever you're with or whether it's your caddy, whether it's your playing partner or whatever, and just talk about sports. Talk about, you know, talk about whatever. Just for almost for try to forget you're playing golf until your hands on a golf club setting up for your next shot because each golf shot is so kind of mentally exhausting because you got so many factors to figure out. All right, where's the wind at? Is the wind down? Is the wind at me? 
what's the lie like? Where am I hitting? Where's the pin? How much do I got to cover? Where's the deep shot? You know, where am I missing? If I miss, where am I missing? And each shot is so exhausting mentally that why spend any more time thinking about it? Like if you're spending time, the minute you hit the, like the shot leading into the next one, whether you're walking to it or riding the cart, if you're spending all that time thinking about it too, your, your mind by whole hell, the whole five or six is going to be gone. So I always think this is the way I approach it anyway. It's just like from shot to shot, forget you're playing golf. And, and then when you, when you step up to the next shot, like dive in and like reset your mind. And it's tough to do. It took me a while to kind of like really understand this mentality and like get at it. But like, I, I've heard a lot of pros do this. It's just like, you know, from the minute you put the club back in the bag, and walk to the next shot, zero thoughts between shot to shot should be actually about golf. And, and, and it, it's, 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 I tell you what, proving to be really beneficial the more and more I get better at it. Yeah. And that's actually some of the, so Colby, I think I talked about this the last podcast was the three box, the three boxes. And one of it was the think box. Think about the shot. Think about what you're going to do. And once you address the ball, that's all out the window. That's done. You thought about it. Let's play golf. And it doesn't just matter. Take your, yep. Be an athlete and swing. And, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. Just couldn't agree more. That's – uh, It's it, – It's crazy because it's tough. And, and, like, you know, so many people address it uh, like a fact of, oh, well, it's easy. Like, duh, it should just be common sense. And, like, for 99% of us, including me, it's not easy. You have to do it over and over and over again. Um, so it, it's something that I constantly to this day work on. But, boy, when you start feeling it and when you start realizing you're doing it and it's working, it, it's pretty cool to see happen. And I feel like it's the yeah. same with you in, in the mentality ideas that you've gotten from Colby's class. And the best, like – when I have the rounds where I play really well and everything's clicking, it's they ask, well, what'd you do? And it's basically you, you cleared your own way. Like you, what's the saying? I got out of my way. I, or they say, I didn't think. I mean, it's just right there in broad day that you don't think, or you get out of your own way you're going to you're going to succeed a lot more than even if your swing is off or you're not hitting it great if you can just get out of your own way you're that's 75% of the battle amen on that amen on that um one thing i did want to talk about before we wrap up today um was kind of i think you know everyone's optimistic on when we're going to see fans again and i'm and i'm positive that the uh the covid positives didn't help in the PGA's, uh, you know, bringing back fans. Um, but it was, it was kind of talked about and, you know, the, the Memorial Jack's tournament, um, is at the end of, I believe with the rescheduling has it scheduled for the end of July. Um, and, and Ohio is still talking about having fans. So, um, even as of the, the 24th of June, they're talking about, instituting masks at the entire event but other than that you know not really doing much different so um if, if we're holding 
if we're holding fingers crossed, if people want to see live golf, like we were talking about earlier in the podcast and why it's so great to go see live golf, you might have to do it with a mask, but it might be at the Memorial. And I think that might be the first time we see Tiger Woods again, to be honest with you. He always plays Jack's tournament. Um, but boy, I tell you what, it's going to look weird. It's going to make headlines and it's going to be, um, one for the history books. If all fans have to wear masks, it's going to be something that's going to be pictured, talked about for the, the, the rest of time. I can tell you that. Yeah. Is it worth it? Here's a question. Here's a question I want to pose before we, before we wrap up. Is it worth it to have that many people on a course? You're talking 30, 40,000 on a course. Is it worth it if they still have to wear masks? No, just, just cut it. Just, I think you're, I, I, I think you're spot on. I think you're right. I think it's a profit margin at that point. They're worried about money. And I think Listen. if, 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 if we can't open a golf course completely fully without masks, don't have fans. You, you just bite the bullet, accept it. You're taking a loss for this year. 2020 is a washout. Just regroup. Everybody's taking a hit. Let's face it. Just now I will stop, say the only, stop the only kind of stop playing cat and mouse for the love of God. Stop <laughs> playing cat and mouse. Just end it. No fans for the remainder of this tour season. Yep. At least we have golf back. At least us golf fanatics can watch golf. I mean, we've talked about it already. They're doing a hell of a job covering golf and broadcasting it to where we're seeing and getting the most out of it just all right no fans are there i don't have the time i don't even realize fans are not even there so we said that shit. we so said that there was there, the golf broadcast you could not tell there was not fans there no one noticed that um the, the one advocate i will say is um i do run like a cornhole league uh, and we do have multiple you know not the tens of thousands but we do have um you know 20 30 40 teams playing week to week and the kind of thermal scan you pass with the temperature scan and sign a waiver. Um, I, I think honestly, that's where we need to start getting back to in society. If you understand the quote unquote risk and don't mind being out there, then by all means have fans by all means go out in public. You know, we're getting to that point where the numbers are starting to get so low. The percentages are starting to get so low. And actually the, the strain of the coronavirus is actually becoming far less deadly it's becoming like it's becoming kind of just a lessened strain of itself, as all viruses do when they, when they look to survive. Virus is a living thing; it looks to survive, so it gets it gets less you know lethal because it wants to keep living on. But if people want to take the quote unquote risk, like I said, sign a waiver, then don't wear a mask. Pass the thermal test, pass your scanner right at the gates, sign a waiver, and go enjoy golf. I think is the way they need to approach it. To be honest with you. Yeah, I agree, I agree with, agree with your thing, but again, stop playing cat and mouse. Just <laughs> call it. I think they just just stop it for the year. No fans, because then you can stop people. Like, because again, I mean, it's even like the littlest things. If someone says, "Yeah, there's a possibility that you can do it," you're thinking like, "Oh man!" Like you're thinking so highly and positive because you can't wait to do this do whatever activity or whatever you want to do. You're thinking like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. I can't wait. Oh, they're going to let fans back. And next thing it, you know, say like two days before the tournament. Mm, sorry, it, get, it goes back to the same thing too. All it takes is one. And we're seeing it already. One caddy test positive and his player out. 
And then all it takes is one fan. You're talking about 30 to 40,000 people. And all it takes is one to cause a mass frenzy. And then the PGA Tour, not just Memorial, the PGA Tour as a whole is up Shit's Creek because one fan tested positive that could have infected all 40,000. So, I mean, is that, a, is that a thing that the PGA Tour is willing to, to, to go down? I don't think it is. I'm going to be honest with you. Like you said, call it a wash. Cut it out for 2020. It's not worth the risk. I agree. So, all right, guys, that'll wrap us up for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed us talking a bunch of BS about golf this week. Uh, I think we covered just about everything that we wanted to as far as what's on the schedule for PGA Tour golf, our golf, and everything in between. So, uh, as always, guys, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EnjoyTheWalkPod. Check out our latest merch, www.EnjoyTheWalkPod.com. And uh, that'll be it from this week, guys. Please, if you could do us one thing this week, share our podcast with one of your friends who enjoy the game of golf. Uh, we, we love to just kind of keep everyone updated and, and just uh, kind of represent Common Man Golf as best as we can. So hope you guys can share that podcast. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It would mean the world. So thanks for listening. And as always, guys, get out there, carry your clubs, and enjoy the walk. One shot at a time.